Lord, open my lips that my mouth may proclaim your praise. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. We ended uh, in complete darkness here on uh, Friday evening with a tenebrae service with the lights extinguished. And this morning at our Easter vigil service before sunrise, um, yes, there were a lot of people out here at about 4 o'clock, 4.30 this morning, setting up outside. But um, at that time, so we start in darkness again, and then we come into this dawning, this day, this new day, a new day because it is new creation. And so what began on Good Friday finds its culmination on this day, because the cross is the pivot point between old creation and new creation. But if it ended there, it was just a dead would-be Messiah on another cross. But it didn't end there. Because on Easter morning, on this morning, there is a resurrected Lord who has come and overcome death on the intervening days, on the evening of Good Friday, all day Holy Saturday, he has trampled down death and he is risen. And so there is new creation on this day. The one who created all things at the beginning of time has now recreated all things new. And so the women this morning, go early, very early to the tomb. As as dawn is breaking, they go to the tomb. Their intention, well, in the other Gospels, we hear that they are going to to embalm the body with spices that uh, that they had not been able to do. But in Matthew's Gospel, we don't hear that. All we hear is that they've gone to the tomb. They're probably expecting to mourn and grieve quietly in the garden. Well, they're in for a big surprise because what happens is an angel appears, lightning, thunder, his, his raiment like lightning, a huge earthquake takes place. And, uh, and the stone, he rolls back the stone. Note this also, Jesus is already risen. He did not need the angel to roll back the stone so that he could get out. The stone is rolled back so that we can look in, so that we can look into the tomb and see that it's empty because the angel indeed invites the women to look in, to see, and then he tells them to go and tell the disciples. He knows why they've come. He knows they're afraid, and he gives them proof there's an empty tomb, and then he tells them to obediently go, and they they go with a mixture of terror and joy. Well, right as the ancient song of the church from the very earliest of ages of the church um, 
second, third century of the church. On Easter morning um, at the vigil service, the exalted is sung. As Heather was chanting that, there's a rogue wind that came around, blew into all of the microphones, toppled the crucifix, the paschal candle stayed lit. It sounded like an earthquake out there. Uh, So we had sound effects going on this morning. But Jesus is risen. He could have appeared to anyone Again, he didn't need the angel to remove the stone from the tomb. He was already out of the tomb, raised. But he chose to appear to the women first. Now, that would give you the first indication that this story is true because nobody in their right minds in first century Palestine would make the women the first witnesses of the resurrection because their witness had absolutely no value. In fact, if they went and spoke in a court of law, it was completely discounted. And yet they've included that in this gospel. The women were the first ones. And when they go and the disciples don't believe their message, when Jesus does come and appear to them, he upbraids them. Why didn't you believe the ones I sent you in the first place? He is raised a resurrected body, not a resuscitated body. Lazarus, Jesus raised from the dead, not in a resurrected body. Lazarus died. He eventually died again. He's not still walking around the earth. He was resuscitated. The son of the widow of Nen she brought him, he brought uh, him back to life. He died again. The 12-year-old girl, the daughter of the leader of the synagogue, Jesus went. She had died. He brought her back to life. She died again. This is different. This is the first time. This is the only time so far that anyone has actually been resurrected from the dead because this is a different physicality. It is a corporeal body. It is a physical body. It is not a phantasm. It is not merely spiritual as in ghostly because Jesus, and we'll hear that later on in the weeks that come, says, look, touch. A ghost does not have flesh and blood as I do. And so it's the same body, but different. Because when Mary Magdalene in John's Gospel first sees him, she doesn't immediately recognize him. First of all, she thinks he's the gardener, but then she recognizes him. The two disciples on the road to Emmaus don't immediately recognize him. They do in the breaking of bread, and then they recognize who he truly is. When he's cooking breakfast for the disciples by the Sea of Galilee, initially, they're, they're, they're going, it, it is, it, it's the Lord. And they don't ask who it is. So it's the same but it's different. And it's different because he can appear anywhere but flesh and blood. This is a risen body. He is the first fruits of the resurrection. And the thing is, that's promised to us. 
that same kind of physicality. The same, but different. He bears the scars of the crucifixion, but no pain. He will not die again, as Lazarus and the 12-year-old daughter of the synagogue leader or the son of the widow of Nain, they all die. But he will never die again. In fact, he is in that body, returned to the Father and seated at the Father's right hand. So clearly this is different. It's so different It's so radical that these cowering, frightened for their life disciples who have locked the doors in case they get dragged out to be crucified after our Lord's been crucified, when they encounter him, there is nothing that will hold them back. Nothing. There is no fear. If you've you've encountered this, And it's been promised to you, if this new life is what is ours, when he returns, then what is there to fear? There is no more fear. And so the disciples face persecution and they face martyrdom. Most of them are martyred and they go to it. They preach. Nothing can stop them. Jail can't stop them. Beatings can't stop them because they've encountered the risen Lord and they are completely changed. How do we explain that body? Well, logically, we can't, but logic doesn't always get us everywhere. This Lent, I've been reading a book called uh, Lent Isn't Rocket Science. And... um, it's, a great, it's been a great book. It's written by a man who um, is a quantum physicist and um, um, an astrophysicist. Um, I think I've got that right. Anyway, he's brilliant. Um, but he's also now the Bishop of Rhode Island. And so he's talking quarks and dark energy and dark matter and things that are kind of like, but he is writing it in a way that we can actually understand. And he says this, he says that um, up until the 1960s, we thought that the universe was stable, that it was as it had always been and that it all will always be. Until Edwin Hubble came along and designed a telescope so that he could see much further than anybody else had ever been able to see. And at that point, he realized that the universe is actually expanding. First of all, he thought it was a constant expansion. But later on, technology got even better, and now they find that the edges of the universe are actually accelerating in their expansion. Absolutely mind-blowing, isn't it? Which means, if you take it back from that, that everything that was, was infinitesimally small, and then expanded out and continues to expand. They can only actually see about 5% of the known universe. 
all of the rest they figure is out there because um, they can't actually observe it, but they see that it's expanding. So what they've said is, is that there's dark energy. It's dark because there's no light there, so they can't measure it. 70% of the universe is what these physicists call dark energy. 25% is what they call dark matter. 5% is what they have actually been able to see because there's light that bounces off of it and they can see it. Of that, there are over 200 billion galaxies. We live in one. We live in the Milky Way. In the Milky Way, currently, they've calculated, there are over 200 billion planets. We live on one. Isn't it amazing that the God who created all of that chose to come here because he loves his children so much, who he created. You know, there's a, there's a theorem that was put out by a great mathematician called Godel. And Godel had this, um, this uh, incompleteness theorem. It means that logic won't get us to all truth, he said. In fact, it says that we can't even hope that it will get us to most truth. That's a mathematician talking. So when we hear that the disciples encountered a risen Lord in a different physicality, but a real physicality, that could come and go at will, that would never die, that was the same and yet different. We don't need logic. We need their witness, which tells us that this is true because it changed their lives and he changes our lives. In fact, he has changed Christians' lives throughout the millennia and continues to do so. This is the Christ who says, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And when he returns, we'll have those bodies. We will have the same and yet different bodies because he is the first fruits of that which will happen to us. In the interim, we pass through the veil and we are in his presence. But he promises a new heaven and a new earth. You see, this God-man has drawn heaven and earth together. Heaven and earth are two overlapping parallel realms and they're separated because right now sin separates us from God's realm, which is heaven, but they are together and they come completely joined together in Jesus Christ. Heaven and earth are completely joined together in this God-man who goes to the cross for us, who dies for us and tramples down death for us and overcomes wickedness and sin for us so that we are made new and so that through baptism when we are in Christ 
We are in heaven and earth, and heaven and earth is in us. Paul says, you are now citizens of heaven. How amazing is that? You see, heaven and earth, we are people of clay, people of earth, and yet through Christ, we have been made citizens of heaven also. There is great power that the Lord has given to his children through Christ. Paul says it this way, You have died. We died with Christ. We died on the cross with Christ. Our old lives died with Christ. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is what the Exaltet says. This is the night when all who believe in Christ are delivered from the gloom of sin and are restored to grace and holiness of life. This is the night when Christ broke the bonds of death and hell and rose victorious from the grave. How wonderful and beyond our knowing, O God, is your mercy and loving kindness to us that to redeem a slave you gave a son. How holy is this night. When wickedness is put to flight and sin is washed away, it restores innocence to the fallen, that's us, and joy to those who mourn. It casts out pride and hatred and brings peace and concord. How blessed is this night when earth and heaven are joined, when earth and heaven are joined and man is reconciled to God. We are reconciled to God. Heaven and earth have come to dwell in us. John Chrysostom put it this way, hell took a body and discovered God. It took earth and encountered heaven. It took what it saw and was overcome by what it did not see. Christ is risen and you, O death, are annihilated. Christ is risen and the evil ones are cast down. Christ is risen and the angels rejoice. Christ is risen and life is liberated. Christ is risen and the tomb is emptied of its dead. We have become heaven and earth people. Know this, just as the angel knew... What was going on with the women? He knows where you are afraid. He knows where you are. He loves you. He came for you. He died for you. He rose for you. Because he loves you. And he just asks that in obedience you start out on the journey And he meets you and welcomes you. Beloved, come, beloved. Alleluia. Christ is risen.